Due to the graphic nature of this podcast, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussion of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. This is a prepaid collect call from an incarcerated individual at County Detention Center. This call is not private. It will be recorded and may be monitored. Guess what time it is? It's time for crime! In this episode, we'll discuss the two cases that created the Summer of Fear for Phoenix, the Baseline Killer and the Serial Shooters. We hope to answer the following questions. What does Mike Tyson have to do with this case? Have you ever been afraid to leave your house? How many felonies can you get away with before you're caught? So listen in and find out more. But for now, try not to end up on an episode unless you're a guest. Hey guys, this is your host, Vanny. And this is Kat. So Kat, how's, it, how's things going? Oh, going really well. I can't believe that, you know, we, I missed the break. I'm, I'm very happy to be back. I will say that. Yeah. How was your trips? How was things? Oh, had some family stuff we had to take care of. So we had to uh, abort the big trip to Colorado. Oh. So yeah. You guys didn't some, end up going, huh? Yeah. Just had some things going on with mom. So we got all that taken care of and everything settled down. So that's good. We were able to get a weekend up in Flagstaff. So we were need some for, fresh air. Yeah, for Overland <laughs> Expo West. So it's a whole get up for people that, you know, camp in Overland and do all that. So we we got away for a little bit. So it was nice. But I am happy to be back. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm I glad. really I really missed missed you, missed recording. I know, I missed you too. It's been like it feels weird to not have been recording, right? But I did enjoy my vacation. Canada was real fun. fun. Oh. It feels like the East Coast. It does not feel like I'm in a foreign country or anything. Just feels like you're in the East Coast. Coast. And everything's in kilometers. That's about the only difference. <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh, I've been lots of places in Canada. I've been in uh, Quebec. I've been in Ontario. I've been in British Columbia. Beautiful. Love Canada. Yeah, we really enjoyed our time. I wish we would have stayed a little longer because uh, Peter's aunt and uncle were here from India visiting. But it's okay. We got a good time at least. We got to see Niagara Falls and our view was beautiful so oh you must have been on the canadian side yes because the american side is it's a national park it's just a national <laughs> park right so it's a little different it feels like vegas on the on the canadian side canada and their flowers oh yeah was, oh it is just spectacular and then you you know look over and you just see the filth of new york just <laughs> 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 the filth of new york and the wax museums and all the craziness and you go on the other side and it's just greenery and trimmed hedges and flowers and just yeah, beautiful. Really nice. We really enjoyed it, which yeah. is funny. His family thought it was weird that I'd never been on the New York side. <laughs> so they were like, that's weird. You're like an American girl. Didn't you ever see Niagara before? I'm like, not everybody can afford a trip to Niagara right. growing up. <laughs> well, exactly. And then you, you, so what if you're on the American side, you like, you see the back side of it. What, you yeah, you don't see, see the you, main. You actually have to go into Canada to actually see the falls. They get to see the horseshoe and all the pictures that you yes. see is all the Canadian side. Otherwise, you're just looking over and go, yep, the water's going over the you side. You just see that veil. They call it the veil or something. You yeah. can touch the water, but that's about it. Yeah, Canada. Canada's got the view on that one. But it was really good. It was a great time to get away. Speaking of camping, have you guys been follow? Have you been following the Gabby Petito case at all? Oh, Yes. Okay. 
I'm yeah. just pulling it out there because it's That's really like a big a hot topic. topic. Yeah. yeah. And it's still so much speculation and so much stuff is going on with that right now. So it'd be hard to compete now that dog, the bounty hunters out there. Oh my gosh. I just think it's so funny. <laughs> like if something went viral the other day about he may be under a bunker, under the garden, like. It's kind of like a where's it, wall though. It's, yes. it's really kind of getting out there now. It's almost urban folklore. Yeah. It's been crazy, but we were excited. But last week's guest was a real great experience, right? Oh my God. He is hilarious. Yes. He's hilarious. I had so much fun with that interview. The whole um, case about the Zodiac Killer, he messaged me and said, did you see the news? And I was like, I saw your video. (laughs) And I love how you put it on our Facebook page because it just really was such a super segue to having the interview with him and then having his video right there. Yes, it's perfect. You know, so to... Our listeners out there, if you have not found him on TikTok, go find him. Yes. It's totally worth totally worth your while, I promise you. Oh, yeah. His stuff is short and sweet. It doesn't take a lot of time, but very, very enjoyable. Very yes. entertaining. Absolutely. Which kind of leads us to our first case. We figured let's keep up the serial killer theme going, <laughs> especially with Halloween coming and approaching soon. And so we figured let's talk about one of the more notorious you know, serial killers here in Phoenix. Oh, yeah. That was our, that was Phoenix's summer of fear. Oh, yeah. Good old 2006. Let's just say you didn't want to go out to the grocery store do much because you weren't sure what was the next hit. Yeah, and what was going on. Especially if you're a girl. Like, they put all those crazy warnings in the news. They were telling you, don't go out alone. Don't do this. Don't do driving. Don't go cruising. I mean, it was But it honestly didn't matter who you were. No, it didn't matter. There was no... Right or wrong of, you could be... No rhyme or reason. Yeah. It was just, sorry it was about just it. Complete kind of chaos on the yes. south side of Phoenix. Just And it just had investigators just going crazy and kind of pulling their hair out because they were just trying to figure out what was going on. The funny, crazy part about it is as they were doing one case, something else was also happening, right? And so it was kind of like, wait a second, what is going on here in Phoenix? Yeah, wait a minute. This person was over here and we know this person was here doing this. What just happened? Yeah, what is happening out here on this side of town? It probably took them probably a good five to six months to figure out there was two things going on simultaneously. Yeah, that I think that was got to be the crazier part of this whole case. Exactly. They think they're chasing an individual mm-hmm. and we've got two completely separate things going on and basically the same area at the same time. I mean, it was kind of a, they took advantage of the situation, I feel, like the shootings and stuff that happened. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was like, oh, the cops are totally busy and tied up. Well, and chasing just, somebody else. Meanwhile, yeah. We're getting so away meanwhile, with things. Yeah. We're over here doing this. Completely different things. Yes. But yet similar things. Yeah. And so, yeah. to your point exactly about it, it didn't matter whether you were whatever gender you were, what race you were, if you were an animal or not an animal, mm-hmm. like everything got shot. It, at. Was, it was so scary. random. It was very, it could, very It could be anybody. Yes. And people were literally afraid to go out of their houses that summer mm-hmm. because it was just so random. Exactly. Well, in case you haven't figured it out, we're talking about the baseline killer and the serial killer, that, or shooter, I should say, that happened here in Phoenix. And this was back in the ghetto. I guess it started in 2005, but it was more ramped up in 2006. Yeah, it was uh, about a 10-month spree for both of these cases. But uh, yeah, the summer, it was, it, was, it was just brutal. A lot of things were happening. 
So I just want to give a little history about Mark Doe since he was the one that got convicted as the baseline killer. I mean, he was abductor, robber, serial rapist, and of course, later on, known as a serial killer. Just kind of a little history about him. He was born here in Phoenix in 1964, and he was the second youngest of 13 children. His father was a car dealer, a uh, lot attendant, and his mother was a maid, uh, which later on they divorced. But according to some of his siblings, they said that his father was pretty verbally abusive and, and dealt with a lot of alcoholism that ran through the family. So that seems to be a consistent you know, background that happens to a lot of serial killers, that they have some kind of bad upbringing, right? Exactly. And of course, you know, alcohol helps almost nothing. No, makes things worse. But, you know, he was really good at sports. He played football in his high school team. He went to uh, a high school in Tempe. I'm not going to give out names just because... Don't want somebody to come back at me. <laughs> you can search that on your own. Oh. But uh, he didn't graduate because he didn't have enough credits. But something that I found interesting that was one of kind of the first things that kind of led to some of his crimes was back in November of 1982, he and his brother were arrested for raping a young woman, but there was no charges. And then again, in August of 1989, he was charged with abducting a woman and brutally raping her. And he claimed that she was willing to have sex with him, but the rape and the assault was something of two other men. So he didn't want to take blame for that, but he did take blame for that. They did have yeah, sex. Yeah, and I think, too, even in the 80s, it was still, oh, let's blame the woman. Exactly. It was still... It was he said, she said, and we're going to believe more of what he said. Yes. Which brings me up another case that happened in the 80s that I think we should talk about one of these days was... I can't remember her name, but it was a girl that was like 16 or 17. She was a babysitter and she has an, has an affair with the husband. He gets away with having sex with this teenager and he never gets convicted of it. But yet she got all this, like she got in trouble. Oh yeah. Another Lolita. Yeah. It was pretty weird case, but you know, now that we're getting back into cases, it's kind of exciting. But then, so after that case, after 13, he served 13 years in prison but he was a model inmate, and so he was paroled in 2004 and moved into a house not far from where the baseline killer was. crimes were happening with his wife, Wendy Carm. And his neighbors knew that he had served uh, jail time, but he was so liked by everybody that even his lawyer says this. Like he was like, there's, it was like two different people day and night that they just could look past his crimes from the past. Uh, he got a job as a construction worker, and then the year after his parole, that's when the crime started happening. Yeah. But you know what's funny to me is when you pretty much look at almost any serial killer, they're so manipulative and charming because they have to be. And so people just fall for this all the time. Like, oh, he was so nice. Well, so was Ted Bundy. I was going to say Bianchi Ted Bundy. And all these people were extremely charming. That's how they manipulate. <laughs> That's how they get to do what they want. Mm -hmm. You know, like one of Ted Bundy's women that he was able to abduct he he faked he was having trouble with the van and this lady's like oh can can i help you he was trying to get a piece of furniture in the van and so she just set everything down and went to help him because he was just a nice good looking man and he went to help he shoved her in the van and that was it you, you can't go by that people it puts you at that spot of do you help people do you not help people because you don't know what situation you're putting yourself in oh exactly anymore so let's talk a little bit about the serial shooters. Do you have any background on them? I mean, I know that I think was it was it Dell that worked at the. Oh yeah, the the serial shooters. That was the uh, the great tag team of uh, Daryl Hausman and Sam Dieterman. Dale 
was a young man in his 30s, and he worked at our local Sky Harbor Airport uh, for many years, and he was a custodian. And in addition to that, which I thought was very interesting, was he also had a little kind of side gig he did. He was getting into photojournalism, and he worked for Ring Sports and Fight News, and he was doing uh, photojournalism on boxers and fighting. And I'm like, wow, okay, that's, you know. Pretty interesting. Pretty interesting, but a career that could take you somewhere. To do, especially do something good. Yeah. So here he was, he was employed with, you know, a job and a half and, you know, was working towards this. His counterpart, Sam Dietman, oh, he was living on the streets. He was a loner, a follower, didn't really have anything going. He was convicted, just a history of petty crime, shoplifting, DUIs. He, there was just nothing consistent. He was a follower, down and out. The Phoenix police really believed that he just got sucked in to uh, Hauser's. Yeah, because a lot of times he was just the driver. Sometimes he was mm-hmm. just happened to be there when... Yeah, Dale's like, hey, let's go out and have some fun. And then Dieterman's like, oh, yeah, okay, this guy likes me. Okay. He just wanted that friend. Exactly. But also, uh, Hausner's brother, Jeff, was also involved in some of the cases. From what I read, he was involved in some of the shootings. And even he was sentenced, so yeah, yeah. go more into it. But yeah, he's not he, really known. He wasn't made. He's not because he was more like the backseat guy. Yeah. He only did, like I said, a few, a few of the crimes. But for the most part, it was... Yeah, um, but it was busy. Dylan, there was yeah. technically like four people. Yeah, out just here, scary. Just working the streets, doing all kinds of mayhem. <laughs> you know, doing all kinds of mayhem for sure. Yeah, and the, terrorizing the, us. The interesting part, um, as well, I think for um, Godot is the fact that he was already on probation for pity's sake. Mm-hmm. So here we start once again. Somebody's on probation, parole, and they're out and about, and he just takes off and he just starts doing things. You know, he, he starts off taking a couple teenagers behind a church and sexually assaults two out of three of them. Mm-hmm. And they're able to get away from him. But he had kind of a long history of kind of kidnappy, sexual assault, rapey kind of stuff going before we even get started, mm-hmm. you know, into this craziness. And just even some of the petty robberies, like some things were like 35 bucks, like some things... Yeah, they were stupid. I mean, he had not, you know, he killed nine people and that's, you know, nothing to sneeze at. And that is very serious. But he had a total of 93 felonies in a 10 month period. It's a lot. That's not like his whole career. It's 93 felonies in a 10 month period. It's a very small period. Murder, sexual assault, kidnapping, robbery, armed robbery, assault. Wow. You're like shocked. Yeah, 93 felonies in 10 months. And the, the crazy thing is that in the news report, right, we didn't get to hear some of these cases, some of the things that happened. It was just like bits and pieces when things actually huge happen. Going into this case was very eye-opening. Did you see the yeah, amount be- of Yeah, because stuff I didn't know he did all this. Exactly. I mean, we knew he killed people and he was sexually assaulting women. Women. But yeah, we did. I did not know that he was just running amok doing all this crazy, crazy stuff. And then, you know, he... He's going through doing his thing and he decides, oh, okay, well, you know, let's kind of change it up. Because again, most serial killers have one way they do things mm-hmm. and it's like perfect for them. They do it, but he kept changing up his stuff. So he was using Halloween masks. He also would impersonate homeless men or people that were drug addicted. And he'd come up to people like Panhandle Pan, yeah, and then he pulls, pulls out a gun and he's robbing them. 
So people are never going to help, you know, homeless people now because <laughs> you, homeless you guy who, pulls out a gun. Well, especially in this time frame, right? You, you like I said, you couldn't do anything without having some kind of fear. And he really was just going up and down Baseline Road. Mm-hmm. which is one of our southern our southern routes in South Phoenix. And he just was keeping very busy in that area. And so those whole communities were just in a panic, you know, especially when he uh, grabbed the sisters. Oh, yeah, the, the two sisters. The two sisters in the park. And that's where they had, um, the cops had gotten some DNA. Mm-hmm. From my understanding and doing a couple of reading, they felt that had they really done a thorough investigation on that DNA, some of the killings would have not happened. Yeah, they were a little slow on that. It was like, yeah, they had it. But I think part of their thinking was not that sexual assault isn't a crime, especially to the victim, mm. but they also were working murders. So the sexual assault kind of put, got put it, aside. It, yeah, it kind of gets set off to the side a little bit. Like, yeah, that's a sexual assault, but we've got this other stuff going on because they did not link his DNA until 2007. And we got to think about too, like in this early 2000s, I mean, DNA was just becoming a thing in a lot of these cases, right? So I'm pretty sure yeah, that it was wasn't still a, new. It took time to process mm-hmm. and do all that. But yeah, it was the uh, the sisters that really were the ones that, that wound up breaking the case. And I can remember, but they had all these, because they gave a really good description. So they had the drawings of him. They had him plastered everywhere. They actually went so far as to put his picture up on the billboards mm-hmm. when you drive by, you know, on the interstates and the, the freeway. You're driving through town, you see this giant billboard with this guy, and you're just like, oh, wow. And so he's still, again, technically, he's on parole. And so it was like four months, five months, they've got this po- basically plastered his face all over town. And finally, somebody in the parole department goes, oh, he looks familiar. <laughs> and then somebody decides to call up one of the detectives and go, we think we think it's Mark Goodow. You might look at him. And then there you have it. But yeah. I mean, in the meantime, he ran amok. All chaos was happening down baseline. Oh, yeah. And I mean, like one of them, he goes into a Little Caesars, robs a Little Caesar gets like $600 out of the Little Caesar, you know, because $5 pizza, how much money are you going to get? There was three robberies that day. It was the Mexican restaurant, the Little Caesars, There's, and then four people got robbed on the street that day. Yeah. And I and if I remember when I was reading it, some of the patrons, they were like patrons of the Mexican restaurant. Mm-hmm. And so he had held up, I think, the Mexican restaurant first. Then he went into the Little Caesars. They finished up, got the heck out of the Mexican restaurant. And as he was coming out of Little Caesars, they were walking by and he robbed them. Mm-hmm. I'm like, three robbers. <laughs> He's like, in case you saw something, guess what? Yeah, and he got up. a couple hundred dollars from the people on the street. And so, yeah, he's he's up to like about $1,000 and like, like 20 crazy. minutes worth of work, just like a two block distance. It's it crazy. insane, you know, because the, the whole thing started... August 6th. And that's when he um, took the three teenagers behind the church. If you look at like his timeline, he just started speeding up. So like his first first crime and it's like once he gets going and like he got a taste, he's just every couple days, he's just revving. Yeah, there's something. So his first one is August 6th. His second one is the 14th, where it was a combination of sexual assault and robbery. And so he's running around for a the people in Phoenix, he's running around the 24th Street and Thomas area. And then the cases for the shooting, it happened around 
Was it right after that or before that? Oh, God, I think they were right around the same, same time. time. So now you got um, Godot running around. So he's got the three teenagers that he assaulted behind the church. He has got combined sexual activity and robbery. Now we have Hausner and Dietman, and they're driving in a car with a rifle. They were using a 22 caliber uh, rifle. And so most often Dietman was driving, but there were times they switched. But Dietman's driving up and down baseline yet again, lucky baseline, and Hausman's sitting there with just the rifle on the door of the car, and they're taking pot shots at literally anything. Random. Goats, chickens, horses. There was one guy that was walking his dog, mm -hmm. and he went to protect the dog, and he got shot protecting oh his dog. And there was another lady that was walking the dog, and as she was walking, the dog was hit. And they just were driving so fast, it was like, boink. They pull the trigger, they hit the dog, but they're already three blocks before she could even realize what happened. What I thought was really interesting about the shooters is that they didn't, they also started shooting in like, I mean, there were some shots in Scottsdale. There were some in Glendale, Mesa, Tolson. So that's when it became a little where they were like, what is happening? Because it wasn't just, they weren't. Right, they, right. They started out at baseline, but then they didn't stick to baseline. Right, only. They because uh, Godow was pretty much on foot. Mm -hmm. And so he was staying uh, South Phoenix area, but you're right. Um, Dietman and Hauser, they're driving all over just with these random things. And so there would be like a random shooting with a couple of dogs and a couple of goats killed in Glendale. So Glendale PD has gone, well, what's up with that? And then they're shooting over to Mesa mm -hmm. and then doing their thing. And then in the meantime, they were starting fires. Yeah. So you've got arson, which on the surface has nothing to do with sexual assaults, DNA, and murder and you know you've getting a fire started in glendale and a fire in tempe and a fire in mesa and then a fire on baseline each city is working that thinking it's their own arson it's their, their own, own issue shooting, happening their own thing and it's not until everybody starts talking and communicating and they're going wait a minute you know we've got a pattern here and people were literally afraid to go out because mm -hmm. you didn't know what was and the happen. shooters they were doing it when it was still light out yeah, they didn't. Well, the crazy part too, like some of the arson fires were just even palm trees. They would set on fire. Sure. So you were like, what, what's going on with palm trees, right? You start questioning, like, should I have a palm tree in my house? Well, you can't avoid that. You're in Phoenix, Arizona, where palm trees is a common it's everywhere. thing. It's but everywhere. But yeah, of all the things to set on, on fire, fire, a palm tree. Or if you had like, you know how they do those... I don't know if it's monthly or we or yeah, it's monthly where they like you leave out your trash. That's something that you want to get rid of, or it's bolt trash. Yeah, they bolt would trash. set they would set that out on fire. That to me was bizarre. Like instead of I don't know, I just thought that was crazy. They would just set a random fire out. In yeah, I mean, house. fortunately, they weren't burning buildings and having people trapped in them. They were just setting stupid things on fire. But we there was just so many elements going on at once that it was hard for investigators to try to. Pinpoint, pinpoint everything and once people started talking this went into a huge combined task force investigation it was huge it was crazy because like now everybody's involved mm -hmm. you had the whole across metro. the valley the whole metro and so for people that don't live here you know it's almost 60 80 miles across mm -hmm. you have all this mayhem going on 
So in the meantime, it's like, you know, we're putting out a palm tree and we're, we're going and checking out that. And then you got Godot who's, you know, grabbing women and just grabbing people and his, his thing. And it took them a minute to separate this as well. Um, Godot's thing was gun, single gunshot to the head. It was just boink. And then that was the end of that where, you know, the two nut jobs driving around they really they were, weren't controlling where the shot was going. No, they were just doing their it, own random And it was thing. just very random. You know, so that it took a minute for that to get the investigators' attention. I will say that we were very fortunate as far as a city. Uh, we had, there was a couple of shady detectives. <laughs> <laughs> they were kind of in trouble for, for other things, but we uh, had some really good detectives uh, that were working on it. Detective Mike Mealish out of Phoenix, he's phenomenal. And I can say that because you knew him personally, my little right? my little confession is is yes, I I knew uh Officer Mealish or actually Detective Mealish, I knew him personally. Uh we had uh done a lot of forensic work together. Uh we were members of the Arizona Homicide Investigators Association together. He was just really amazing. And even uh Paul Rubin, who wrote for the Phoenix New Times. And if you're from Phoenix, you know, the New Times can be a little on the liberal side. They can be, they can, they can be a little out there. But um, even Paul Rubin, who's been writing for them for years, um, actually had some really nice things uh, to say about, about Mealish. And uh, he said, uh, when it came time to searching his home on October 7th, 2006 was a godsend because Mealish's reputation was impeccable, as was his jacket as a no-nonsense sort who would rather die than screw up a job. And that's true. I mean, you give Detective Mike a case, he's like a pit bull. He's, he's on it. He's on it, and he's he's going to see it through. So, Yeah, I think he pretty sure he got recognized, um, if I remember correctly. He did. And he then one thing about Mike, he hates publicity. He hates the limelight. He doesn't like awards. He does. He just, this is my job. It's what I signed up to. I just do it. Mm -hmm. You know, in fact, when they started uh, the TV show, uh, the first 48 hours, it started off in Phoenix. The one of the very first episodes, I had the honor of knowing Cliff, he was one of the lead detectives on that. And you see Mike about half of him He's like in a doorway and you see like half of him for like three seconds and he's moving. And that is the last time you see him. <laughs> <laughs> like disappears. And he wanted nothing to do with filming. They, were, they weren't going to be doing any of his cases, watching him do do any of the work. They, they did a really good job because they did a preliminary search and they found a, a ski mask that he wore. And so that gave them more probable cause. Plus, um, they were able to find some of the casings and say, Oh, look, here's three shootings. All the casings match. Right. We have reason to believe. So then they got a secondary, uh, search warrant in October. And fortunately he had already been arrested mm -hmm. the month before, but that's when, um, they went in and they were able to find, um, his Tiffany, Nike sneakers. Tiffany's ring was in there. And the ring was in there. And then on the ski mask, uh, one of his victims, Nicole Gibbons, they found her blood in five areas on that ski mask. So that was that was really good. But it was amazing. Uh, forensically, they were able to really get stuff off of his shoes. And then, um, too, when they went in and looked, so they had the Nikes. And in the stitching around the swoosh was where they found um, some blood. Mm -hmm. And then they uh, found a pair of brown like loafer type men's shoes. And in there was a bag 
and they were able to pull it out and they found a multicolored ring, a bracelet, and a few other trinkets. That targeted him to the cases. Targeted because one of his victims, Tina Washington, had a mother's ring. And when they found the body, it wasn't there. But then they found it in the baggie in the shoe. So that was some pretty, pretty good stuff. Evidence that they found. Yeah. So this guy was just quite busy. But it just it's just mind-boggling to know that he was already on parole. And for 10 months, he's just running amok. And like nobody's putting it together. And I'm thinking kind of probation and parole is not putting it together. No. I mean, a lot of these cases, right, sometimes... Uh, and they've and they've discussed this previously before that a lot of the cops don't engage, don't talk to each other. Their their softwares don't connect. Fl- don't connect. Don't connect because they're you know my case, my crime, my 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 my. They're right, and very they want to take. Yeah, they're very protective, and so I mean that's kind of like what most of these old cases, especially like they don't talk to each other, right? And so it takes even the FBI. They don't talk with the DEA sometimes, right? They don't talk to oh, all exactly, the other exactly. different entities within the law enforcement group you could put all together, right? They don't talk. So I think that that needs to change. That's something that needs to be a change situation that happens because then it becomes, you can catch people sooner. Yes, you can. But they're very, you know, my case, yeah, my thing. They're very protective Div- of it. Yes. But one of the things... um. You were going to mention that you said that Hausner was interviewing, like he got into sports, right? Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that he interviewed uh, Mike Tyson. Yeah, he got to actually interview him. So I'm thinking, what what kind of a coconut is this guy? He's got a legit <laughs> job at the airport. His photojournalism thing is is taking a hold. And he got a legitimate interview with Mike Tyson. But let's drive around and shoot stuff up and set palm trees on fire because that's fun. And that, was t- that could have definitely been a game changer for his career. Had he, it, it could. And I think the thing that wrecked it for him was because he was just basically psychopathic with his whole personality. And he just had that. Well, it didn't help either. He was yeah. on meth. It's all about <laughs> me. Yeah. And drugs never help people. Alcohol never helps. It no. just doesn't. That doesn't help. It just puts fuel on the fire. Well, I think this is a, a good segue of, of we're going to leave the our listeners kind of hanging. <laughs> <laughs> how did it turn out? How did it turn out, right? Now that they know who who's the who's the killer and who's the shooters, I think, um, you know, we can leave this for a part two so we can kind of really dive into, I mean, some of the things that happened in the trial and then post they've been convicted and in jail. We can share a lot, highlight of that. Even the questionnaire that the people the jury got it was like 152 questions some of those questions on there were pretty insane so you can kind of go into that but uh, I'd like to mention that we will put a timeline of the two uh, cases up on our our new website and we'll have a blog uh, for everybody to kind of to see how many people were impacted with you know from the 2005-2006 of these two cases Oh, yeah. And I am excited for people to go check out our new website. Yes. A lot of changes, positive changes. So we were working hard while you all thought we were vacationing. Yeah. Well, you guys thought we were just chilling. (laughs) (laughs) No, we were were working hard. So we were working hard for you guys. We have a, a pretty awesome 
web page now. Yes. So I'm very excited about that. And with that change, we have something exciting for you guys. We decided to do, start uh, a question of the week for you all. And you could respond through our website, through our Facebook page, our Facebook group, or you can do our call in. We do have the f- phone line. You can call in and answer the question. But I'll ask the first question. I'll let Kat ask the bonus question. But question is we're keeping to a theme here guys where did the term serial killer come from Ooh, good question so don't be afraid to to answer this question. answer our questions and bonus bonus points because i love a bonus if you can tell us what actual individual said that yeah as well we'll give you bonus points so if you know where it came from and the actual individual bonus points yeah and i think we'll maybe you know eventually start being able to give out some kind of treat for everybody. Um, but we thought we figured we'll see how this goes. If people like these questions, we promise to give out something goody soon. Yeah, absolutely. Treats. But uh, for now, just we want to make sure you guys stay safe, take care of each other, be kind, kind. to you. Always, one of them. always be kind and always stay safe. And uh, we hope to hear from you guys soon. Yeah. So thank you all for listening. We appreciate it. Welcome back. We're so happy to be yes. back. All right. So everybody take care. Take care. Time for Crime is a podcast about true crime, prison life, and the opinions from the people who've worked on the inside. Please follow us and leave a five-star review on your favorite podcasting software. Help us get our voice out there. You can get more information about the podcast and this case at www.timeforcrime.net. Look for us on Twitter at Time for Crime One or on Facebook at Time for Crime Vanny Cat. Feel free to leave us a comment on our voicemail at 623-292-5871. We might even put your call on the podcast. Like it, love it, and share it, but please credit the hosts Vanessa Nunez and Kathy Delaney for their commitment to the podcast and service to the community. We'd like to send a special thanks to Nickel Ninth for the music in this podcast. We'd also like to thank Dave Kaiser and Peter Ninth for their support of the podcast and website. And most importantly, we'd like to thank you, the listener. Without you, we couldn't bring you this podcast. Take care, everyone.